Yes, Father, we thank you that you are a righteous king. And we thank you that you are coming. Hallelujah. Our eyes are looking up to where our redemption comes from. I thank you that you are drawing your church into a deeper place. A deeper place of intimacy. Thank you that your goodness is leading us and drawing us into places of change. Into places of repentance. Into places of joy. Into places of peace. Jesus. He's drawing his bride. Thank you, Father. Where his presence is, is everything you have need of. There's things that you could be, have been waiting for, standing for, believing for, for years, but yet it can happen in one moment in the presence of the Lord. Jesus. All the things that we're seeing across the nation and across the world is God drawing His church, drawing His bride. Because Ephesians tells us that He's coming back for a glorious church. A church without spot or without wrinkle, without blemish. He's coming back for a glorious church. That means full of glory. That's full of His goodness. That's full of His presence. That's full of His power. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. There's healing in that place. Hallelujah. There's restoration there. Jesus, Jesus. Mm. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Mm. Thank you, Father. the bride is expecting the bride is getting ready when a bride is preparing for that day they're making adjustments they're making changes they're getting things in order hallelujah hallelujah that's what revival is all about
you, Father. Just go ahead and be seated. Just don't let, don't cut off your worship, your heart. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. His presence here. Hallelujah. Thank you. Joe, do you have anything? You good? Uh, thank you, Father. Mm. Pastor Phil, the microphone there. Mm. This is one of those times that you step out in faith. Uh, what's happening around you in the world doesn't concern you. You have the faith of God, and God's on your side, and it's His battle. The great revival that's coming forth is everywhere. We've seen it in Africa. We've seen it in the different countries. You're seeing it in the schools. You're seeing it all over. That revival will usher in the end times, but it's not yet. It's not yet. There's many things to do before this comes. Don't fill your minds full of what's going on in this world. Fill your minds with what says in the Word. God will always take care of you. When we were in Ethiopia... First thing I noticed was the military buildup. It was in Kenya. It was in Tanzania. I seen the gunboats out on the streets. I seen the water cannons there. I seen the pickups with the machine guns with the guys up in the back. Military was everywhere. But you know what? You don't have to worry. There was no fear in Brother Jerry, no fear in our team, no fear in me. Because why? We've been sent on a mission. When that mission was over, we'll come home. And God's instructions is, I'll go before you. I'll go before you every time. I'll set up everything. All you got to do is walk the steps out. And that's what he's saying right now, Brother Justin. Walk the steps out, people. Walk the steps out. That's all you've got to do. What's your part? What do you got to do? What do you walk out? What do you pray? What do you do with your children? That's all you have to do because he's got your back. Thank you, Father. In everything. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Remember, this is all worship. This is all worship. It's not as a segment of a service. And um, there's something the Lord put in my heart months ago. I talked a little bit to, uh, to the men a couple weeks ago about it. And, um, you know, Annette and I had the opportunity to go to town last week to celebrate her birthday. And, and, um, And just listening to Dr. Savell and listening to minister the word about the fullness of the blessing and about the going to the maximum. One, we have to settle it that the blessing is on our lives. I'm not trying to get the blessing. I'm not trying to get authority. I have authority. The issue with Adam and Eve in the beginning was why they lost the blessing and why they lost authority is something that I want to deal with, a word I want to deal with today and in the weeks to come. This word I want to deal with, it's a key to walking in the maximum, the greater, but at the same time it can also cause you to live in bondage. 
This word it has been a great hindrance, but it can also be a greatest force. It was, a, it was a tool that caused David to kill Goliath, but yet also a tool that called him to kill an innocent man. It's been the catalyst that has started every revival, but at the same time, there's also things that ended revivals. It's the very thing that brought you to your spouse, but all at the same time, it can be the very thing that could tear a marriage down. It was Adam and Eve's greatest downfall, but yet it was Jesus' Jesus's greatest strength in the fulfillment of his assignment. And the word I want to talk about and continue to start a series today, and we'll see, I don't know where it'll go, know how far we'll get into it today, but it's dealing with the word desire. Desire. If I look at my life, I've come to realize that desire has championed great victories in my life, but also it brought about great defeats in my life. There's a lot of definitions for the word desire. One of the definitions in Webster's, and this one I'll use this morning, it says, it is the internal act which by influencing the will makes us proceed to action. Let me read that again. It is that internal act which by influencing our will makes us proceed to action. So it's receiving information by our senses that influences our will that causes you to act. Go to Luke chapter 5. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 5. Desire. This is, this is such a powerful word. Because like I said, it is the very thing that is causing... And will cause the greatest outpouring of the Spirit of God this world has ever seen. Nothing happens automatic. It starts with desire. And you'll see what I mean as we go into some of the weeks to come. Verse 36, it says, Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also that piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskin and be spilled, and the wineskin will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now listen to this. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new. For he says the old is better. No one immediately desires it because they think what they have or what they had was better. I, I remember, uh, you know, as a, as a young a teenager and going to church, and, and I've, I've told you some of the stories how I knew that God had a call on my life. I didn't know what it meant or, or anything about it, but yet I never really gave way to it because, because I, realized, I, I thought that what I had was better than what God could give me. You know, this can come across in many different ways in our lives and how we can look at something and we can say, hey, that's, that's the mark of what God, God is doing. But if you, if you get stuck there, what, let me give you an example. The children of Israel in the wilderness, 
got to a point where, where, where Moses came to them because there was a lot of sickness happening. The serpents were biting people. And the next thing you know, God speaks to Moses and says, I want you to take a serpent. I want you to put it up on a pole. And everyone that looks at it, intently looks at it, will be healed. That's, that's amazing, right? But yet what happened through a period of time is they took that serpent and next thing you know, they created other temples to worship the bronze serpent. And all of a sudden it was what God was trying to do. The next thing you know, all of a sudden they're turning it into something different. And the thing is, 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 is we will limit God if we live based on old wineskins. You will never fulfill your purpose in life if you're living based on old wineskins. Or you're based on old things. The thing is, is you don't first immediately desire it because you think the old is new. That means, that means you need the Word of God to be planted. I can go in and, and talk about the new covenant versus the old covenant and what this is meaning here. But I, I'm, I'm wanting to deposit this scripture as I begin today because you need to get your old wineskins out of the way. And it could be religious, it could be old ways of thinking, it could be the church you used to go to, it could be how you grew up, it could be so many things comparing, you know, what the Bible says, you compare things that you're not, you're not wise. And you, you can say, oh, well, what, what happened at this time and what happened at that time? And you can exalt that but not realize what is God doing right now? What is God speaking right now? Let's go to Psalms 102. Psalms 102, get verse 12. It says, But you, O Lord, shall endure forever in the remembrance of of your name to all generations. I will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. Wow. The set time has come. The set time has come. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. He says, for your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. And we talked about this, about looking at the temple, which represented the presence of God. Verse 15 says, so the nation shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth, your glory for the Lord shall build up Zion. The Lord shall build up Zion. He's building up Zion right now. This is the time that God is favoring the church. Zion in the, in the Old Testament represents the New Testament church. He's building up Zion. He's, say he's building up Zion. Because this is the set time. The set time of favor. The set time of blessing. We're in the set time of favor. And he is building up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. I believe even like this morning. Just the presence of God in this place. And we see it happening in the world. He's appearing to Zion in his glory. He's manifesting his glory. He's releasing his glory. He's, he, he, he is performing wonders. And he's performing signs. And, and we, are the, we are the greatest time the church has ever existed. He's building up Zion. Why? Because this is his set time. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. 
This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. So now we know he's not talking to them, he's talking to us. A people yet to be created that they shall praise the Lord. Verse 19, for he looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven the Lord viewed the earth. Now listen to this, God's looking down at the earth. Hallelujah. He looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven the Lord viewed the earth. Now remember, he's talking, he's talking about a set time. He's talking about uh, building up Zion. He's going to appear in his glory. He's going to regard the prayer of the destitute. He's not going to despise their prayer. Then he tells us this is written for a generation yet to come that they're created to praise the Lord. And it says he looked down at the height of his sanctuary from the heaven the, view, the Lord viewed the earth. What is he looking down at? The praise of the people. He's looking down at the praise of the people. He's looking down at the prayers of the destitute. He looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven the Lord viewed the earth. You know, Chronicles tells us that he looks throughout the whole earth. Looking for someone's heart that is turned towards him. Where does desire come from? Where does desire release from? It's from here. Whether good or whether bad. He looked down from the height of his sanctuary from heaven. The Lord viewed the earth. What is it? To hear the groaning of the prisoner and to release those appointed to death. So he's hearing the groan of the prisoner. This, this speaks of whether it's the hunger of the prisoner or whether it's the, the prayer of the destitute. What are we hearing? We're hearing that God responds to hunger. God's responding to hungry people. God's responding to people that are hungry. He hears the groan. So he's looking out over the, 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 the thing of heaven. The, the, you say the, gar, the, the, the balcony of heaven. He's looking down and what is he doing? He's regarding the prayer of the death. He's hearing the praise of the people. He's hearing the groan of the prisoners. Why? To release those appointed to death. And then it says, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion. And his praise in Jerusalem. When the people are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. To serve the Lord, to worship the Lord, to praise the Lord. This all speaks prophetically to our time. Let's go to Psalms 132. Psalms 132. Let's look at verse 1. What we have to understand is the word and why the word is so important. Because if you don't have the word, if I don't minister the word, then desire can't be produced. What I'm doing this morning is I'm depositing the word to provoke in you a response to act. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word because the word is what produces the desire to say, that's mine. And desire and faith go hand in hand. I don't want to get off on that yet. Verse 1 says, Lord, remember David in all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord 
and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. And so he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. This was, this was, he was making a covenant with his mouth. He was making a covenant in his heart. It was not something that God was making him do. It was something that was being birthed out of a relationship that he was having with God. It was the desire that was only inside of him that he had to do something about it. So he swore about it and he made a vow to it. In verse 3, it gives us this vow. He goes, surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Wow. Man. This, think about it. This was his pursuit. This was his passion in his life. This is what made him get up in the morning and what caused him to go to bed at night and expect greater things. This is what caused him to, to gain all this wealth and, and to gain everything that he had. Why? Because he had such a desire and a hunger and a compassion to build a house for God. I mean, when was the last time that you... You woke up one day and you're like, God, I am not going to sleep. I'm not going to do this until I do this for you. (laughs) When was the last time that was a vow that you made to the mighty one of Jacob? God, I'm going to witness to every person I see. I'm, uh, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for you. This was something, why? He had a desire on the inside of him that, that, that money could not buy. Why? Because he had enough of it. This was something that was on the inside of him that he was like, look, why, why, do, why do we have these types of things and yet, yet God's, God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant is hiding somewhere in a tent somewhere. Why, why, why can't I build a place? I want to build something for you that your presence can, 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 can be in. I, I want to build something that all the world around me knows that, that you're there. This is God's house. This is God's place. This was a desire on the inside of him. This was like, God, I, I don't want to sleep until I do this for you. I've got to build this for you. I don't know about you, but I'm, I have a hunger and a desire on the inside of me to build a house in Crowley, Texas that gives God glory. Where the presence of God is, where miracles are happening, where Jesus is revealing himself. Where Jesus is being lifted up and, 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 it, and it is no aspect of marketing, no aspect of, uh, of trying to convince people, but just people come because Jesus is there and the presence of the Lord is there and the word is being declared. Amen. This is where and how Revivals begin and how they're sustained is because you only have one pursuit and that's him. Desire. Desire. And because he had the desire, he was able to be a part of building this house for God. Verse 6 says, Behold, we heard of it in Ephratah. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. 
Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. You in the ark of your strength, let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. What's David saying here? Because it wasn't just about building a building. Because the most important thing of this scripture was I want to build him a place because right now the Ark of the Covenant is in a field somewhere. Meaning, meaning God's presence isn't at the forefront of, uh, of the minds of God's people. Hold your place there and go to Chron- 1 Chronicles 13. 1 Chronicles 13. So many amazing things in the Word about the presence of God. I encourage you to take the time to read chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, and you get a picture of what's happening here. But in First Chronicles 13, thank you, Father, it gives us the first act that David did as king. Verse 1 says, Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who were left in all the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and the Levites who are in their cities and in their common lands. Now listen to this. That they may gather together to us and let us bring the ark of our God back to us. Now listen this, for we have not inquired of it since the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so. Now listen this, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Now wait a minute, if this was right in the eyes of all the people, how come it took 40 years for them to do it? If, I think Saul led for 40 years, something like that. You can correct me later if I'm wrong. But the, the, the purpose is, is here. They hadn't inquired of the presence of God since the days of Saul. And it took David on his first day of being king, his first decision that he makes is, we need to get our king. We need to get the presence back. We need to get the most important thing back. We, we, we need to get the difference maker back. We need to get the ark back. We, we need to get the presence of God back. And it said all the people agreed it was great in their eyes. I want to encourage you, encourage us, don't wait for someone else to have a desire to build something great for God. Don't look for me to pump you up. Don't look for me and don't look for, for trying to go over here or go over here where God's moving or God's doing this or that thing. The, the bottom line is, is you need to be the one to hunger. 
You need to, and, and it's happening. I'm not saying that there's a great hunger in this church body right now. There's a great heart of worship that's taking place. And what I'm ministering this morning is going to cause it to continue to build and continue to grow. It was right in all the eyes of the people, but, but yet no one was doing anything. It took David to stand up on his first day of being king and say, let's get the presence back. Let's bring the ark of the presence back to where it belongs. Go back to, to uh, Psalms 132. Verse 5 says, Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. And let your saints shout for joy. You see when God arises in a place? There is what I want to call holy conviction. You don't have to preach condemnation. When you're in the presence of the Lord, holy conviction will take place. doesn't take someone condemning you when you're in the midst of revival. Because it's just, it, there's just this awe of God that just overwhelms you because His presence is so heavy in a place. You, in the ark of your strength, let your priests be clothed with righteousness. That's what that means. It's just that the glory comes down to where it it washes you from the inside out. It just makes you. You're in that presence, and it just makes you like Him. When you behold Him, you'll be like Him. Psalm 17, the very last verse says says, "When we behold, we open our eyes, and it says, and we'll let me." I think it's Psalm 17. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. This is verse 15. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. As for me, I will see your face. Face is talking about presence. It's a reflection. As I'm looking at him... As I'm in the presence of Him, I shall be satisfied. And what happens is, I'm like Him. And then it, then it says in verse, the next verse, in, uh, back to Psalms 130, it says, And let your saints shout for joy. There's just this overwhelming of being in God's presence that, that just joy just overtakes your life. Just joy. There's just this, this overwhelming sense of joy. Amen. Verse 10 says, For your servant David's sake, do not turn away. The face of your anointed. Verse 11. The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. He's prophesying about Jesus. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. Now let's look at verse 13. Verse 13. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell. Now listen to this. For I have desired it. Man. Now, 
I, I want you to know, I want you to know that your desires, where are your desires coming from? Let me ask that question. Where's your desires coming from? Who's, who's feeding your desires? See, this... Now, David was making a vow. David was saying, hey, I, I want to build God a house. I want to build God a sanctuary. I want to build something for God. But yet, ultimately, in this, what was happening? For the Lord has chosen Zion. He desired it for His dwelling place. He said, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. See, David all of a sudden was just having, really, God's desire. God had deposited a desire on the inside of David to build him a house, but ultimately the purpose to build him with a house was for God to be able to dwell with his people because that was his desire. So your desires that come from the word of God are desires that he's painting on your heart. The desire, the Lord, the Lord may be speaking to you and say, hey, you need to spend more time in the Word. That's, that's a God desire. He may say, you need to come to corporate prayer. Or you need to come. You need to spend more time worshiping me. Or you need to, may need to spend more time praying in the Spirit in your personal life, building yourself up. What is that? That is the Lord speaking to you to produce a desire on the inside of you. So, when, so ultimately, David had a heart to build God a house. But really, what, what he was doing was he, was, he was really championing God's desire. And that was to dwell with his people. Thank you, Father. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He's desired it for his dwelling place. He says, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I've desired it. Now look at verse 15. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall flourish. So what's happening here? What's happening when, when we, we get connected with God's desire and our desires are working together with God, what happens? He goes, I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will clothe her priests with salvation and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There's something happens when we get connected with God's desire for our lives. Go to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Thank you, Father. Look at verse 24. Says the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as have I thought. This is the Lord saying this. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Surely as have I thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I purposed, so shall it stand. 
We could read it this way. Surely as I have desired, so shall it come to pass. And as I have desired, so shall it stand. This is God's desire. God's desire. Let's look at verse 25. It says, what is he purpose and what are his thoughts? So what is he desiring here? Verse 25, that I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains tread him underfoot. Then his yoke shall be removed from them and his burden removed from their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth. Wow. This is the purpose. This is the purpose. This is the desire that is desired against the whole earth. What is God desiring? To break every yoke. To remove every burden. This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed this. Who will annul it? His hand is stretched out. And who will turn it back? Now think about that. He says, he goes, who's going to gnaw it? His hand's outstretched. Think about that. His hand is outstretched. You can't stop his hand. You can't stop what God is going to do in the earth right now. You cannot stop it. Why? Because he's purposed something. He's established something. Who can annul it and who can change it? Why? Because his hand is already outstretched. And this is the purpose for the whole earth. The whole reason for revival manifesting in the earth right now in the last days is to break yokes, to remove burdens, and draw people to Jesus. This is the purpose that he's purposing over the whole earth. And who can annul it and who can stop it? Say, no one. The only thing that will stop it in your life is your desire to not want it. Now, it will still happen in other people's lives. I'm just talking about you personally. For the Lord of hosts has purposed it. Who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Verse 28, this is the burden which came in the year that King Ahaz died. Now listen, this was the burden which came in the year that King Ahaz died. Can I I teach a little more? Go to 2 Chronicles 29. So everything that's taking place here, that he's speaking here, has to do with the burden that came in the year that King Ahaz died. So now we have a timetable. We We know what we can be looking for. And so let's look at what happened with King Ahaz. Second Chronicles. Hallelujah. Do you desire his presence? Yes. Do you desire his word? Yes. Hallelujah. Mm. Just lift a hand to heaven and say, Father, I love you. I worship you. I'm hungry for you. Move in my life. In my family, in my church, everywhere I go, I see you moving. So this is his purpose that he's purposed over the whole earth. And we know when it happened, it was when the burden came upon Ahaz. So let's look at this in Second Chronicles 29, verse 1. Actually, let's go back to chapter 28, verse 26. 
Now the rest of his acts in all his ways from first to last, indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So Ahaz rested with his fathers. They buried him in the city in Jerusalem, but they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Why did they not bring him in there? Because he was evil. He was one of the worst kings that Israel ever had. So this burden that happened in the time that King Ahaz died. What, so let's look at what took place and what was needful to take place. Because this has to do with desire. Verse 1 of 29 says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah. Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Wait a minute, I'm kind of confused. But his father was Ahaz. But yet here it says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Hallelujah. I said this to a man, man a couple weeks ago that you do not have to be like men in previous generations. See, he was saying, you know, he was making a decision. I don't want to be like my father. I don't want to be like my natural father. I want to be like King David. I, I want to be like David. I, I want to be like him. Because it, it, it could... He, David wasn't his father because, I mean, I think he was the 11th or 13th king after David. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. She has a desire right now. Hallelujah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Verse 3. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. This was the first thing that he did. This was the first thing that he did. On the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors to the house of God. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites. Then he tells the priests, sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Wow. So Got to get the rubbish out. It's bad when rubbish is in the house of God. Hallelujah. Let's get the rubbish out. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him. They've turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and they turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of, of the entrance. They put out the lamps and they have not burned incense or offered burnt offering in the holy place to the God of Israel. For 29 years, 25 years. His dad, just board, his dad just boarded everything up. 
9, it says, Therefore the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, to jeering, as you see for your own eyes. For indeed, because of this our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. So let me ask a question. What caused their captivity? The enemy? No, it was their desire to close up the house of God. Verse 10, now it is in my heart, this is desire, this is Hezekiah, now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now. Don't be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. Wow. Man, don't neglect this. He's saying don't neglect this. Don't neglect this because you need to stand before him and you need to praise him. You need to worship him. You need to burn incense before him. Verse 12, then these Levites arose. Uh, It goes through a bunch of names of the different Levites and their different jobs. Verse 15 says, and they gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves, went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord. To do what? To cleanse the house of the Lord. Then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron. Now they began to sanctify on the first day of the first month and on the eighth day of the month they came to the the entrance, uh, the vestibule of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days and on the sixteenth day of the month they finished. So in 16 days, they got all the rubbish out. They cleaned everything out. Just stay with me here. Let's look at verse 20. Wait a minute. Actually, go to verse 19. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. So in 16 days... He was in the process of turning around everything his father had done. Verse 20. Then King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, went up to the house of the Lord, and they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven male goats for a sin offering, for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, for for Judah. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bulls, and the priests received the blood and sprinkled on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and they sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king and and, and the assembly. And they laid their hands on them. And the priests killed them and they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all for Israel. Stay with me here, okay? He stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David, and the priests with the instruments. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offerings on the altar. Now listen to this. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began. The song of the Lord also began. 
with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. Now listen, so all the assembly worshiped. The singer sang, the trumpeter sounded. All, now listen, all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. If you don't like worship, you're not going to like heaven. If you don't like singing unto the Lord, now I'm not talking about nothing's going on, nothing's happening, and you're just, God's not there, and you're just singing to sing, or sing to hear yourself sing. Uh, You know, you can worship worship, and not be worshiping God. You can worship a song and not be worshiping God. Well, I just like the way that song makes me feel. But no, is it about God? Now, listen, they played music and they sang until all the sacrifice was done. Wow. Thank you, Father. All this continued until the burnt offering they had finished. And when they had finished offering the kings and all that were present with him bowed and worshipped. Wow. Not only that, but when they got done singing, they bowed and worshipped. Wow. Worship. Thank you, Father. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded... They were commanded, commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord. With the word, now, with the words of David and of Asaph, the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshiped. Then Hezekiah answered and said, now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings and as many were of a willing heart, willing heart brought burnt offerings. And the number of the burnt offerings, listen to this, I know I'm reading a lot here and that's, we got to hear this. And the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs. All these were a burnt offering to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls, 3,000 sheep, but the pre now listen, but the priests were too few, so they that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore the brethren, the Levites, helped them them until the work was ended, until the priests sanctified themselves. For the Levites, now listen, were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. This is what we're you're you're seeing right now. The Levites are the people in the pews. Where, where people the people there was such a mass move of people being changed that there were not enough priests to minister. Because the priests weren't as hungry as the people. I 
I'm determined that you will not be more hungry than me. Think about that. There was so many. The people were bringing so many things. There weren't enough priests to do it. So they, they, had, they had to talk to like the ushers and the greeters. There was such a move of God happening. Things were happening so fast that they said, Hey, hey, come on. You, you're being sanctified quicker than we are. So come on. Let's get to, get to doing this. That's a move of God. And this is what we're into right now. But it took one man had a desire to not be like his father and to say, I'm going to turn this around. God needs to get back in the building. But the priests were too few. They could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended, until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. Verse 35, Also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings and with the drink offerings for every burnt offering. Now listen to this. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the event took place so suddenly. Let me read this in the Amplified. Thus Hezekiah rejoiced and all the people because of what God had prepared for the people for it was done suddenly. Immediately. Now listen to this. Chapter 30, verse 1. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh and they, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel for the king and his leader, for the king, for the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover. Now listen, in the second month. So what does this let me know? Chapter 29, the move of God happened and took place in 30 days. What can God do in Crowley in 30 days? What can happen in 30 days? God took a perverted kingdom, a perverted community that had boarded up the house of God, that had limited God, and within 30 days turned it around to where there was a move of God happening so quickly. It happened so suddenly that they, could, they, they couldn't stop it. But it took one man. Just like David was one man. All the people knew it was the right thing, but no one was doing it. But David had to do something. All the people, all these Levites, all these people, the assembly, they were in the community with King Ahaz all the time. Why did not someone else stand up? It took one man to be determined that I have a desire to bring God on the scene in my life, in my community. It took desire. 
Go to, go to uh, I'll try to close. Go to Matthew 21. I'm just really barely doing an introduction on desire this morning, so. Hallelujah. I want to get there, but then I want to read something that Dr. Savell, a word he gave five years ago. Matthew 21. Dr. Savelle gave this word in South Africa in February of 2018. And um, I, I wasn't there at the time, but this was something, this was written down and got to, was sent home to us. And it started out this, this is what he said, hunger, prayer, and belief. Joe was probably there. He says, prayer is vital. God does nothing until someone, somebody prays. Prayer is what welcomes the presence of God. If you truly want him, then do whatever is necessary in prayer. Now, as I, as I continue on, you, there's many definitions of prayer. Prayer could be a prayer of agreement. It could be a declaration. It could be asking. It could be demanding. It could be... A number of different things, but it could also be praise. It could also be worship. So you could say prayer. Worship is vital. God does nothing until somebody prays. Prayer, worship, is what welcomes the presence of God. If you truly want Him, that's what hit the word. If you truly want Him, you could say if you truly desire Him, then do whatever is necessary in prayer or worship. Every major move of God has come on the wings of hunger and prayer. It doesn't take the whole church wanting it, but why doesn't the whole church pray and believe it in? A revival or a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit is a profound encounter with God that requires disciplined preparation, hunger, prayer, worship, and believing. To think that we will have a major move of God without prayer, worship, or hunger, or believing is foolish. Acts 1 and 14 says, They all continued in one accord in prayer. They continued steadfastly in prayer. Look at the place that prayer took in bringing in the move of God. We need to start praying for Holy Ghost invasions. We have crossed the threshold in God's timetable. There is a price to pay, but not everyone in the body of Christ is willing to pay it. It means coming to church when you don't feel like it. It means coming to prayer meetings when you don't feel like it. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. As soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth. As soon as God's people pray and worship and ask and call for it, then, they will, then it will bring brought forth. God's people are required to bring it forth in prayer and worship. When the body of Christ begins to pray and worship more, it's not just going to happen and one day we just walk into it. God's people are required to pray it in. Pray it in. Pray it in now. Pray in the Spirit. We don't always know how to pray as we ought, because, but it's time to cry out and desire God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. It's the word that he gave in 2018. Desire. Prayer. My, microphone. 
before we went into South Africa or Ethiopia, the prayers had went up for months. When we went in, we went into prayer every day at a certain time for one hour. When the meeting started, it was explosions. And when the explosions started, there was no control over it. The people in the buildings went wild. There was no control, but God was in control. They danced uncontrollable. They shouted. They ran around the buildings. Not because God was doing any one thing. It was just His presence was there by prayer and fasting and prayer. Then we went into Ethiopia. And I never seen anything like it either. They had been praying for months and months. The building would hold 10,000. And in the bottom of the building it was full. And on the last time they, they, came, they came with a choir. And the choir said, we have something we want to do for Dr. Savell and the team. And so they started singing. And when they started singing, hmm. they put the guy out. He had a drum that was over his shoulder. He played it from this end. He played it from this end. And then the lady came right behind him. They sung the song for 30 to 35 to 40 minutes. And, and nobody got tired of it. And all of a sudden, I reached the apostle and I said, what's the song? He said, it's the song of Solomon. We've been singing it for 3,000 years. Mm. Yeah. Then he says, but now we're bringing in the song of David. Mm. And yeah. they came in, same band, mm. and they started singing. And pretty soon, it just exploded. Yeah. And I said, what's this song? He said, this is the song of David, where David danced uncontrollably. Yeah. We've been singing it for 2,000 years. Yeah. And then the, the whole place mm. exploded. Yeah. I mean, people were dancing mm. uncontrollably. You could not do mm. in your natural body. They were in positions. They were up on the pews. They were everywhere. And you know, when it gets on me, that means there is a move of God. Okay? <laughs> but I'm, I'm standing next to the apostle. And I'm saying, you're dancing uncontrollable. And his hand hit me, and I turn loose. What am I saying? Prayer. Yeah. Prayer. Hunger. Desires. Wanting God. And hey, mm. God is ready. He's not waiting mm. on him. We're waiting. He's waiting on us. Exactly. Uncontrollable. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet as I close this out this morning. My, stand to your feet. Be the one, see, whether we're talking about David and whether we're talking about Hezekiah, what we're seeing is God's desire was working through them. It was took a man, or it would take a woman, to yield to God's desire. And as I close with, I know the Lord's told me to, to share today, finish this out, is in Matthew 21. And remember last, a couple weeks ago, and I talked, about, I talked about Hosanna. Right? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The first thing that Jesus did, and I talked about how Hosanna meant save now, free now, send prosperity now. The first thing he did when he went into the temple, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Verse 12 of Matthew 21, he says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God. He went into the temple of God. And he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables, the money changers, and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, 
My house should be called a house of prayer. But you made it a den of thieves. This was really a prophetic scripture found in Psalm 69, I believe, verse 9. I think it's 69, verse 9. And it's prophesied about, prophesying about Jesus. And it said, the zeal of my father's house has eaten me up. The zeal. That's desire. The desire for my father's house has eaten me up. And, and, and so the first thing he did when they worshiped and walked into the, in, into the city, he went into the temple, he kicked over the tables, he chased, chased out those that were selling things, and, and he said, my father's house should be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. I mean, this, has been, this should be a place where people are coming to, to receive. Instead, it's been a place where you take. And it's amazing what happened when things in the temple were put in proper order. What happened? Then, this is verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. You see, there was so much going on in the temple that the ones that needed to be there couldn't get in. But yet, soon as he chased them out, and all of a sudden, God's desire for his house became what it was supposed to be, then immediately they brought the blind and the lame into the temple. And they were healed. They were healed. They were healed. In several places in Scripture, whether it's in Acts and Corinthians, so grateful that in this new covenant that we have, it says that he doesn't dwell with temples made with hands, but he dwells in hearts. Now, he does manifest. There's a corporate anointing that manifests where we are, the church. We're the church, not a building. So, the desire is not just for a physical building, the desires for your heart. So make it a point to fan the flame of desire in your life. Maybe you're like Hezekiah and there's things that have, you have just boarded up your heart, so to speak. Not letting his voice in anymore, not heeding his voice. Maybe you have so, many, so much desire for other things. But make a decision to desire Him. Why? Because He desires you. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands and worship Him. Oh. Hallelujah. Bring yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Oh, thank you, Father. I thank you for the hunger that's in this place. Thank you for desire. Lord, that we come to a place where we desire you more than anything else. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Ms. Carolyn, I'm going to put you on the spot. I just want you to share that one phrase. You don't need to elaborate. 
but I think they need to hear it come from you. Microphone. Thank you. The desire that Pastor Justin's been talking about. We need to desire eternity. Not desire things on this earth anymore. There's not that much time. We're right here. The closing seconds of our span of life on earth. Desire eternity. I pray today over every one of you that there's going to be a burning desire rise up on the inside of you as of this moment that you desire eternity more than you desire what's in this earth and what's available for us on this earth. But Lord, we desire you, only you, everything concerning you. That's our heart's cry is the desire of our heart. Is you, Thank you in Father. Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Mm. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Hallelujah. Mm. Hallelujah. Mm. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Mm. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We desire you, Lord. Just go ahead and just praise Him. Just praise Him. Just praise Him out of your own heart. Just praise Him. Release a, a prophetic worship out of your heart. Oh, you're good, God. You're a good God. You're a faithful God. We glorify you, Lord. We glorify you, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for manifesting yourself, Lord. Thank you for drawing us. You're drawing us into a deeper intimacy with you, a deeper place of worship into you. Hallelujah. A deeper hunger. Hallelujah. We're hungry for you. Hallelujah. 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 Are you hungry for the things of God? Were you ministered today? Just lift your hands. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will take this word, bring it to your remembrance. In this season, I declare He's changing your appetites. He's changing the things that you're lusting after. He's changing your natural pursuits and turning them into godly pursuits. From this day forward, you are marked as a believer that's hungry. And all the things of this world are falling by the wayside and are no longer feeding your life or your lifestyle. For by the Spirit of the Lord, there has been a change in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him a shout of praise if you receive that.